Welcome to The Paul List, a daily comics analysis um, podcast. It's daily so that we can read widely, and it is analysis so that we can dig deep. You're invited to pop in and listen when you want. I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher and a literacy researcher and a comics reader. I'm on Twitter at Tuplai, T-W-O-P-L-A-I. Visuals and other stuff about this podcast can be found at thepaullist.com, which is a Tumblr page. Um, You're listening probably on Stitcher or SoundCloud or iTunes. If you are on iTunes, please rate and review The Paul List. would love to hear even your critical feedback as well as what you like about the show. Today is our Thursday throwback, A Day Late. Our book is Donald Duck Lost in the Andes by Carl Barks. I should say Walt Disney's Donald Duck, uh, published by Fantagraphics Books. And we'll also be looking at Carl Barks and the Disney comic book Unmasking the Myth of Modernity by Thomas Andre from University Press of Mississippi. And uh, we'll be talking about um, the genius of Carl Barks and uh, why he's significant in um, from a cultural studies perspective of comics. So, yeah, so let's dig deep. And here we are. It's our Thursday throwback. Um, these are becoming fast becoming some of my favorite uh, episodes to do. Um, if you follow the podcast, uh, you know, uh, and if you, if you don't follow the podcast, I will now inform you that on Thursdays we do a classic. We look at a, a classic work of comics and it could be from the superhero genres or it could be, um, something different. And we're reading something different today. Um, we're reading Donald Duck. Um, Walt Disney comics, uh, you know, have been around as long as comics have been around in the American scene. And um, they've always been sort of part and parcel of the Disney enterprise, the Disney, you know, empire, so to speak. Um, So much so that for a long time, Western, which was the company that produced um, Disney comics, uh, wanted to maintain the the brand. You know, the brand is very important to Disney. You just listen to any of those stories about people who worked for Disney theme parks and the, you know, rigid rules that apply, adhere to... um, to, to being part of the Disney brand, then you'll know. Um, well, Disney uh, comics were so much the Disney brand that they didn't even credit who their um, artists and writers were so that it could maintain the sense that it was all from the same um, stable, uh, maybe from the same imaginative uh, mind and, and, and maybe even the, the artistic hand of, of Mr. Disney himself. Um, As a result, for a long time, you know, these Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck comics and uh, eventually Uncle Scrooge and stuff like that would uh, come out as kind of an uncredited and undifferentiated mass of Disney comics. And yet um, there was something so special in certain ones of the Donald Duck and eventually Uncle Scrooge and sort of the Duck World um, comics. There was something so special, so distinct in them that... Pretty soon, um, you know, attentive readers, which uh, at this time was, you know, uh, really an, an all ages group of readers and, and really, uh, you know, at a time when comics were, it's probably still true, but uh, very targeted towards boys or towards girls and, and certain genre and certain um, types of stories that were supposed to be appealing to one or the other. Disney comics were universally appealing, supposed to be universally appealing. And um, and so, you know, reading, discerning readers would, would start to recognize that sometimes the Donald Duck comics were really, really good. I mean, there was something about them. You know, when you look at them now with modern eyes, they don't look all that different from the standard Disney animation, um, standard Disney cartoon kind of style, except to 
you know, be very consistently so. But when you actually would read the stories, there was a kind of um, adventurousness, a creativity, a um, quality of the writing, and a consistency of the art that people started to talk about the good duck guy, or the good duck artist, or the good duck cartoonist. And because there was somebody, again, uncredited, who was doing um, remarkable, you know, way above the mean, um, outlier good kind of comics. And that person turned out to be Karl Barks, um, which wasn't really revealed to the public until the 60s, you know, 20 some odd years into his work on Disney animation and Disney comics in particular. And um, there's a recent uh, uh, article that's on the University of Texas Press blog. Uh, you can search for the title of the article uh, and, the, and, and its author. It's called Reading Comics Like a Grown-Up by Christopher Pizzino, who's a comics scholar, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-O, who also just had a, had a book come out, although I haven't read it yet, um, called Arresting Development, Comics and the Boundaries of Literature. And um, it's a it's a good blog post to read in uh, in thinking about how you know you have tenured university faculty who study comics um, analytically and uh, and really intellectually uh, fruitful work and yet there's still this um, legitimacy burden on on the analytical study of comics you know and um, I think part of taking comics seriously uh, as this article is sort of um, you know de decrying. I don't know if Mr. Pizzino would say he's decrying, but um, th that, um, you know, the recognition that is due to comic studies and comics analysis is long in coming because, you know, I think as a culture, it's kind of reflective that comics themselves are not recognized as worthy of analysis as pop culture artifacts or as some kind of um, uh, evidence of, you know, something more profound than just the funny books that we read as a kid. And what's so interesting about looking at um, Donald Duck, Carl Barks, and this work is that um, I should say, and I'll pause a moment to say, uh, much of today's pod is totally derivative. And it's very derivative, um, basically, um, you know, borrowing or, or, you know, in some places, a wholesale quote, uh, a work by Thomas Andre, A-N-D-R-A-E, called Carl Barks and the Disney comic book Unmasking the Myth of Modernity. Um, it's from University Press in Mississippi. I think it's 2006. So here's my recommendation I'll say from the outset. Read Carl Barks, Donald Duck, if you never have. Read his Uncle Scrooge. Fanographics has done a, um, a brilliant job of, of reprinting them. Um, of course, Gary Groth and, and Kim Thompson and, and folks like that over at Fantagraphics. And um, they are gorgeous uh, and they're uh, fun. Um, and... Um, uh, you you want to read the Karl Barks work for itself. Um, that was my experience. Uh, hearing that Barks was this significant figure in comics, and then when he was being reprinted by Fanographics, really wanting to find out what the fuss was about, about these Donald Duck cartoons, which if you're anything like me and anything generationally like me, you have the same sort of blanket, um, you know, uh, appraisal of Disney that would basically dismiss this as anything... Uh, you know, worthy of serious study. But um, Mr. Andre's book is such a, a great study of the book and such a great example of cultural studies of comics um, that uh, I, I would recommend getting Barks and reading Barks, and I would recommend getting Andre's book as a companion. Um, again, that's Carl Barks in the Disney comic book and Masking the Myth of Modernity. And the reason why is because it was, it's one of those kind of great um, it's kind of pretty academic, but it's it's one of those great books that say what you were thinking, 
you know, as you were reading something in sort of your, you know, most cogent, smart thoughts, um, but but you realize articulated it all and put it all together in such a fashion that lets you go, hey, I don't have to explain this to somebody. I can just hand this book to someone else and they're going to... Um, they're going to, you know, get a lot of benefit from it. And so this is one of those books that I would hand if I was teaching a comics class, which, you know, would be great fun. I would have my students uh, read Barks on the syllabus and then I'd read uh, Healthy Doses of Andre to be an example of um, of uh, cultural studies. Because, you know, actually these Donald Duck comics um, in general uh, are are a significant part of comics studies history um, because there was an article, uh, a piece written called How to Read Donald Duck. Um, and it was actually um, published in Chile um, in the post-Pinochet Salvador Allende era by a pair of intellectuals. And I'm looking up their name right now. But um, uh, the, the, the piece was kind of a, a watershed moment in, um, in cultural studies of comics because... Um, you know, part of the, 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 the thing that comics has to do, comic studies has to do, is prove itself by taking comics seriously. And um, there's this, this piece, How to Read Donald Duck, by um, Ariel Dorfman and Armand Matalart. I think that's, uh, that's my guess at how to pronounce that. Again, published in Chile in 1971, was a, uh, you know, a critical look at Disney comics. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you could say really from the vantage point of 40 50 years later that it's of its time and of its place this this book but it was um you know important in the sense of uh being representative of a study of um popular culture and this was you know disney comics but also sort of representative of the larger disney brand the subtitle of the piece is um how to read donald duck imperialist imperialist ideology in the disney comic and the entire piece is a deconstruction a critique actually deconstruction is probably the wrong word it's kind of a gross marxist reading of disney um and there's a you know it, it sort of exposes the <laughs> the um the things that are actually going on in what appears to be a very innocent you know group of stories as a kind of capitalist you know propaganda um as a way that um you know you have uh, uh sort of um uh, uh, characters it basically turned into consumers and capitalists. There's this, you know, commodity fetishism. There's this alienation, alienation from from actual processes of labor and production, and and then there's a um, you know kind of an infantilizing of of these characters into uh, noble savages, and you know, sort of a turning around of the children as the mature ones and the adults as, as sort of a subversion of the. Um, the working class and all this kind of stuff. Um, if any of those phrases didn't mean anything to you, I'm not going to do a primer on Marx. You can just Wikipedia them. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of based on based on what what I said was a gross Marxist reading because it's sort of you know the simplistic version of I'm not saying this the study itself is simplistic. It's actually um, pretty pretty powerful and pretty eye opening to read. Uh, I read it as part of a comic studies reader. I can't remember which one, but I know it's reprinted in one of those um, big readers. But um, but you know it's kind of this you know basic Marxism of the you know the base and the superstructure and the economic base is like imperialism and and all this stuff and then the superstructure the the culture is the superstructure that's built upon this base and uh, basically everything becomes boiled down <laughs> to um, Marxist ideology um, and 
I think that that work is important. Uh, How to read Donald Duck is important in the history of comic studies as a uh, um, you know a, a, a landmark you know study that uh, brought some very serious investigation, very serious analysis to comics. So you know we really got to grant that. But um, but I, you know I, I kind of read it the way that I read Richard Hoggart's uses of literacy, which is usually thought of as the foundation for um, contemporary cultural studies in that, you know, it brought an intellectual heft to popular culture like comics, but it sort of lacked sufficient nuance, you know, that I think we have learned uh, and, and since applied to comics, um, including the, the kind of necessary complementary, and Andre goes into all of this, by the way, but it's sort of general knowledge about cultural studies, um, the necessary complement to um, to this sort of gross Mar- Marxist critique that um, that comes with cultural studies and comes with the influence of you know people like the Italian Marxist uh, Antonio Gramsci and sort of the Gramscian influence to cultural studies especially in the UK you know is is, is very widely felt and it, and it really kind of helps to unlock um, this kind of analysis and critique from a very reductive and a very simplistic pattern of always reading popular culture as essentially about you know the um, the oppression of the working peoples um, as the superstructure to an economic base. It's, it's always it's always class struggle, you know. Um, instead, there's a kind of nuance in uh, that's that leverages Gramsci's ideas about the production of common sense through the operations of um, what he calls you know hegemony. He sort of has gifted that to um, the intellectual community, um, and you know it's it, it what it what it means is that as people read and and in fact as individuals created comics it's not just they were unwitting dupes of you know dopes usually or dopes and dupes of the um you know of the of the capitalist elite but that actually in 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 really pretty much all forms of popular culture there is this kind of reiteration this kind of reification of dominant ideology and and there's these elements of you know of subversion uh, and transformation within them sometimes at the same time because you know people have agency people ask questions people do things <laughs> and um, and I should point out that um, how to read Donald Duck and again all this Andre points out but how to read Donald Duck was written about Disney and about Disney comics and in fact translations of Disney comics that weren't uh, always entirely true uh, and were actually under a kind of uh, political gun to um, to espouse a certain ideology but that in fact uh, they didn't name uh, Karl Barks himself and that's where I think this is kind of important because Karl Barks is was different as I said at the top he was a standout he he was um he was doing something in these comics that was that that sort of transcended the um the, the context <laughs> transcended the the big mouse the um dominant ideology of the uh the two ears um <laughs> and um and so you know when you read barks you can read barks and somebody like thomas andre can read barks with a kind of critical scrutiny that um you that that is is incredibly rich is incredibly nourishing now i've said all this stuff and it's it's pretty um uh uh pretty much it's a gross stretch to uh turn Karl Barks into Karl Marx <laughs> he was a small town kind of guy um a pretty simple guy in fact kind of a conservative um but not sort of the um 
not some of the you know caricatures of conservative that we see today but the kind of conservative who's in a way so conservative that he he can be somewhat radical in the way of like you know a T.S. Eliot or a Dostoevsky or something um in that in uh there's a, there's a critique of of modernity there's a critique of you know subjecting some of the sacred cows of, of capitalism and contemporary society and masculinity and other stuff to what the cartoonist can do which is the, the cartoonist pen of, of ridicule you know and thereby as the the title of this book says unmasking the myth of modernity but um but i mean i think that's the thing to to know about carl barks is that He's part. He, you know, he's part. He's disappeared into the massive Disney machine, um, but um, but in being this good duck artist, what he was essentially doing that made it so, um, in a sense, revolutionary and made it in a, in a way that made it so different was that he was just doing smart comics. You know, he was doing what smart cartooning can do. Um, you know, part of it, of course, the quality of his artwork and his consistency, part of it was his character creation. He's the one behind Uncle Scrooge. He's the one behind the, you know, uh, 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 you know, many of the duck characters. If you grew up in the eighties, like I did eighties and nineties, and you watched, you know, DuckTales and all those shows, that whole world of Duckburg was, uh, was Carl Barks's creation, not Walt Disney. <laughs> You know, but it was also that in every one of his stories, there was this imagination and this inventiveness that, you know, people later like Steven Spielberg would go on to credit and acknowledge that it was that good duck artist that inspired many of their ideas as children that grew into the um, the stories that uh, marked generations like mine. And so there was a, a sophistication that he maintained, even though these were, quote unquote, you know, just Disney comics that were just for for quote-unquote kids, um, a sophistication where he expected that whether they were kid readers or adult readers, he could tackle subjects that were so core to um, to, to to persons. I was going to say to humans, but <laughs> we're talking about ducks. <laughs> and so uh, these fanographic reprints of Carl Barks, um, you know, I think uh, fanographics lends its credibility and legitimacy to, to it, but you, you just kind of... Um, can see and recognize that something um, bigger and deeper than the the um, inch deep Disney is going on here, um, but also they're just fun duck comics, <laughs> fun duck comics. And I have uh, I think Chip Zdarsky made a joke about that on uh, Twitter. But anyway, um, I've I've bought a bunch of these Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck. Um, uh, collections for kids i have yet to give them to a kid uh who has just uh flipped over them but i i'm i keep holding out hope anyway there's a lot of them there's you know whatever 12 or 14 volumes or whatever of donald duck and and, and uncle scrooge so there's a a deep uh a deep mine to um to, to spend time in but what i wanted to spend a little bit of time in today is a story called lost in the andes which is in a collection titled lost in the andes now all these donald duck comics were either part of this monthly comic that had a you know 10 page stories so there's all these 10 page stories or they were part of a, a longer story that would you know sometimes stretch a whole comic uh, about 30 or 33 odd pages and lost in the andes is one of those latter longer stories and it's a piece that um Barks himself was quite proud of and that has been um, critically analyzed a lot and um, in fact uh, uh, Andre spends a lot of time on it in his book and so a lot much of what I say will again be um, completely um, not plagiarized but uh, uh, you know extracted <laughs> straight from Andre's analysis which I, I, I 
hasten to add, I, um, you know, my own understanding of it was deepened, but I, I read Lost in the Andes and I knew, I could tell that something deeper was going on and had many of these notions before and Andre just uh, filled in a whole lot of context and also much more analysis that, um, that you know, made it a, a richer experience. So if you've read Lost in the Andes, great. If you haven't, I will sort of talk about it and then you can go back and read it and appreciate it. But but mainly what I want to do is open the door for you if you haven't to Barks, you know, to Barks studies, to um to to read uh, read up on Barks and read Barks and to kind of uh you know, soak in the enjoyment of the stories and, and sort of how imaginative they are, but also to consider that the the layers that are there. As I said, you know, Barks not a um uh not a radical by any means but so thoroughgoing as a cartoonist in his um satirizing of of things in uh as again that subtitle unmasking things by poking fun at um all these different aspects of um system and society that um there's something really uh interesting going on and and that's the case here lost in the andes came out in 1949 and um as andre tells it uh disney had co collaborated with the state department to um to attempt uh something that was part of the good neighbor policy that the united states had with other countries in the americas as a part of resisting fascism and they wanted to sort of um increase or uh, improve relationships and people's uh, attachment to latin america and so they made cartoons like um the three caballeros which is full of um you know racist stuff and commodification and imperial imagination and stuff like that so um you know it, an attempt to uh unify really revealed a whole lot of the um i don't know the anxieties and the um uh dark desires of <laughs> the united states but um as andre argues Lost in the Andes is part of that overall effort, but actually quite opposite, um, more mocking of the dysfunction of the commodification of, of indigenous culture by, by colonial America. And so the, the, the comic plays out, it's about 30 odd pages, but there's a lot that goes on within those pages. Um, it plays out in three settings, and each of the settings has its own sort of sense of, of, of satire. And the first few pages were in Duckburg, and uh, I... I um, read this first panel about a bajillion times because my my wife was talking to me and we had a good laugh about how I never get to actually read because well I have to talk to my wife but <laughs> it opens with a panel it says it's a morning of a day destined to live long in history at the Museum of Natural Science the third assistant janitor is giving orders to the fourth assistant janitor today janitor duck you'll polish the stones you know and there's this big sort of dog you know janitor in a museum character talking to uh, Donald Duck, <laughs> who is the fourth assistant janitor. And, you know, so he's polishing, and what basically the story starts because he's supposed to be polishing some stones. There's a square rock. He drops it. He finds out, he reveals that it's an egg. And um, the discovery that these um, square eggs that come from some place in, um, in the Andes, uh, uh, you know, and then so the museum curators and scientists and archaeologists gather around and they're all in these sort of pretentious suits and and funny um facial hair sort of a mockery of academe and uh 
um, you know, the entire sort of, you know, museum culture superstructure. And then there's these rich capitalists, the egg dealers, who are sort of these uh, typical Karl Barks caricatures of fat cats and their dogs, actually. And they're sitting around like, hey, square eggs, think of how easily they could be packaged and stored. They would stack like bricks, you know. And then there's even farmers that are sitting there, like, talking about... Um, what they could do <laughs> and then they send an expedition out and so kind of within three or four pages there's all these aspects that extend from duckburg to duckburg to this expedition to the andes which of course the fourth assistant janitor becomes the third assistant um ship shipmate or whatever <laughs> um donald and uh and then huey do and louis are his assistants um so there's and and that by the way is a sort of a consistent joke um about hierarchies and 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 stuff like that but um you know you got your your museum culture your janitors your scientists your specialists your tycoons your 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 capitalists and you know all of this uh this great mocking caricature of um of you know the the all of the components of american capitalism right but then they set sail and they wind up um in the Andes, and you reach this uh, place of the Andean natives, where um, they are depicted uh, as really not um, <laughs> uh, not as uh, as you know uh, greedy as the um, a, a sort of greedy and 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 ov overblown and self-impressed as the the residents of Duckburg, but they are you can see. Um, you know, very locked into this uh, colonial system of tourist um, profiteering. And so the um, the Andean natives, you know, hear that what Donald and uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are looking for are square eggs. And so they, uh, you know, do a smoke signal and then kick into gear the fast manufacturing of a, uh, <laughs> with a Ward and Roebuck cement mixer and square molds of um, imitations of, uh, square eggs that um, you know these tourists are in pursuit of, and it's in a sort of remaking of fast manufacturing of um, you know some uh, image imaginary of of you know native exoticism for for these uh, capitalist um, tourists, you know, and all along the way, by the way, Huey, Dewey, and Louie keep chewing gum and blowing bubbles uh, which will be consequential later um eventually by visiting a um sort of a a, a wise you know lonely vicuna hunter um, there's um they follow a mist and they pass through a fog and they wind up in this pre-columbian incan city called plain awful where everything is in cubes and in squares. And again, if it starts to sort of sound like um, some terrible, you know, sort of colonial, uh, uh, you know, d depictions, yeah, there's that for sure. Um, but I think to, to, to um, dismiss it or to only see it at that is to make a similar mistake as... Um, as I think the um, the the uh, how to read Donald Duck piece does, which is to only grant it the ability to do that, because I think Barks himself infuses all levels uh, with the kind of cartoonist critique that um, that is a matter of making fun of all of it, and so there is in 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 Barks's sensibility a kind of you know uh, honor you know the the people in this Andean's uh, I mean sorry this this Incan like city the, this plain awful are um, are 
you know, m m much more genteel, much less, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, greedy and um, and venal than the characters of Duckburg. So there's definitely a sense of like, well, these are sort of more uh, people that we would more aspire to be like. But at the same time, there's a, a little bit of mockery of that too, because the characters have this, uh, the, this uh, in this Incan city, they, they practice this exercise, this Southern hospitality. And it turns out that, you know, um, uh, that there was a, uh, a professor, Professor Rhett Bettler, uh, a clear allusion to Rhett Butler. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a, the Birmingham School of English, who taught them all these uh, Southern manners. And uh, I don't know why I did a British accent. I just said that they were Southern. And so the characters, uh, in, in these um, sort of uh, pre-Columbian um, indigenous people, I bet's minds lay mo eggs. They look, they all goes cock-a-doodle-doo, you know. And, um, and so this, this idea that we have about southern hospitality suddenly becomes attached to these uh this picture of these noble savages you know all of which barks layers on super super thick with a kind of irony you know a kind of satire that you can tell that he is skewering also our our, our you know romantic primitivism you know the sort of anthropological um romanticization of these people and and of course, both sides of it are shown. Huey, Dewey, and Louie are punished for blowing these round bubbles uh, because everything there is sacredly a square, you know. And um, and it's sort of a comparison to the patrician South, where everybody is is super genteel and polite, but but actually underneath there's this really this um, justified slavery and all this kind of stuff. Um, anyway, I'm getting near. I'm seeing. I'm near the end of the clock. Um, I, I I did all this analysis and. Uh, and it's all this cultural studies business, but I probably didn't say enough that this story is just fun. You know, it's just funny and yet um, provokes a, a whole lot of a whole lot of thought. You know, and so um, I feel like the way that Carl Barks takes advantage of the way that cartoons and and these kind of cartoons especially can skewer things, and then the range of things which he again comically and lightly skewers is um, yeah is reason to 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 take barks really seriously and so highly recommend it um it's fun reading also exemplar of comics being far more than what's on the surface um by the way fantagraphics is cool end of the year they usually have a sale on their website fanta bucks and two for one kind of price and uh i use those i wait for these things to go on sale pick them up as gifts um i recommend that I recommend that so yeah so um this has been Carl Barks. This has been Donald Duck, Lost in the Andes. Um, and uh, by Fantagraphics, this has been Carl Barks and Disney comic book, Unmasking the Myth of Maternity by Thomas Andre. Um, leave me some feedback. It'd be great to have uh, a little bit of feedback on whether in iTunes or, uh, or tweet me at 2ply or email me at 2ply at gmail.com. Tomorrow, uh, which is actually later today, I'll be back and talking about the um, uh, Friday Family comic and we'll be talking about maris wicks's coral reefs from first to second uh, their series of science comics uh and uh yeah that's that's it that's coming up so all right let's keep reading